Hello, and welcome to Remember the Film, the podcast where we are not cops. Cops. We're not cops. <laughs> I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-hosts, Josh and Hugo. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Uh, today, our film to remember <laughs> is sorry. Martin Scorsese's The Departed. Departed. <laughs> which yes. is going to lead in beautifully into our main topic, which is... Mark Wahlberg, Boona Bane. Okay. <laughs> and if you pull need... it back just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> if you need me to pull that back, it's Mark Wahlberg, Boone or Bane, where we're going to basically discuss uh, what Mark Wahlberg brings to his movies, if anything. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, one way to put it. But So we're going to get started with our discussion of The Departed. Uh, so let's we'll we'll start with uh, some general. You want me to start with the facts or or some general thoughts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go with the facts. So some facts about The Departed. Uh, this movie is a remake of a 2002 Hong Kong movie named Infernal Affairs. Uh, yeah. The one of the interesting facts about that was that Scorsese was apparently not aware that this was a remake until after he had already signed on to direct it. Uh, hmm. Oh, that's which, that's interesting. Yeah, which is you know. I, I'm always skeptical because I've heard that many, many times. Uh, because I've also heard that the writer claims that he did not watch Infernal Affairs before writing the script. And I'm like, how is that even possible? This is an adapted screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that seems a bit weird. So, I, see, I see how that can happen. Like, because I feel like I the... I haven't seen Infernal Affairs, so I don't know how closely it follows. But, like, the, the three-sentence pitch of this is pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. And so, like, they may yeah. have just kind of taken that and, and ran with it and maybe just... The screener just knew that and then wrote it. Yeah, I suppose that's possible. possible. Yeah. Could be, uh, could be. But yeah, so interesting that Scorsese didn't even know it was a remake. And so that, like, clearly, when he agreed to sign on, you know, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure that Scorsese kind of develops a vision for what he was going to want from his movies even before he signs the contract to direct them. So uh, it, it, I, I do intend to watch Infernal Affairs eventually just to see how similar or not similar they are because, you know, if Scorsese didn't watch it first, then there's got to be some pretty significant differences sweet uh, pun in the title too yes excellent pun <laughs> <laughs> but but it's not as good of a title as the departed the departed, the departed is, is an all-time <laughs> title just it's just it's just so good uh, because of the accent like oh well yes 100 and i i'm gonna try as josh said to rein it in a little bit <laughs> yeah i love the boston accent uh especially in movies and especially in this one because they go all out <laughs> is this a oh, yeah. is it is this the probably this and goodwill hunting are the top two boston accent movies you i think or at least in my book yeah for sure yeah. and of course you know matt damon in both and uh mm-hmm. matt damon being from southie has the quintessential <laughs> boston accent like <laughs> you had two accents didn't you you little it's a family I mean, podcast so i can't I say there's the line we're trying to be a family <laughs> podcast but we're talking about the departed so mm-hmm. This may so, yeah. we may cross into some lines, so you know some some quotes just may come out of me, and I and I won't be able to stop them. So I apologize in advance. Oh, and I should probably throw up uh, my image of what well, one of my images for the departed. I love your dedication to your images. Yes, Chris. all the people who see them deserve them. You know, all all twenty of you guys who are going to watch this on YouTube, I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so. That was the first interesting fact. Next one, uh, the one of the main characters of the movie is Frank Costello, who is a mob boss, a Boston mob boss, played by Jack Nicholson. 
And one of the interesting facts was that he was actually not the first choice to be Frank Costello. He was second behind Al Pacino. Uh, <laughs> but then after the Pacino turned down the role, Jack you know, was asked to, to come on board. Uh, that would have been good. It would have been good. I want my environment to be a product of me. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's, that's your opportunity question for the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so I think that would have been a drastically different take on Frank Costello as Al Pacino. Uh, but I, I definitely I mean, don't think that we were hindered by it being Jack Nicholson at all because this is a fantastic no. performance. He is menacing. As he's Frank unhinged. Stella. Oh yeah, he's unhinged. So like, actually, Pacino would have been awesome too. Now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, they, yeah. They, I, they, I, I think they can both play the the totally unhinged, like really huge performance that this movie needs. Totally agree. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And well, uh, continuing our discussion of Frank Costello, the character is based on a real life Boston mobster, Whitey Bulger, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. was actually still on the run when this movie was released, <laughs> which is like. I, this movie came out in two thousand and in six, six, so seven, yeah, two thousand six. So like, in, in certainly in, in the way it feels to me, not that long ago, uh, but it feels like this. You know, you know, it's. I have a hard time imagining mobsters in being the on the run, time. like being on the run in the modern time. Like you can't uh, find this guy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we got cameras everywhere. No one's seen Whitey Bulger. But then they made they, they made an actual movie about Whitey Bulger. They did. a few years later, yeah, in two thousand fifteen. Yeah, Black Mass. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's not very good. I mean, I, I hear it was okay. I, I haven't seen it. I hear it was okay. I think Johnny Depp might have been Oscar nominated, or I believe he was, he was close uh, to being Oscar nominated. Really, he, he definitely yeah, won I, awards for the performance. I don't know if it was Oscars. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, but well, I also do remember hearing that movie. Whitey Bulger was not fond of Johnny Depp's portrayal of him. So. I'm not sure I would be fond of Johnny Depp portraying me either, so in Whitey Bulger's defense, but I hear he's good in it, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, next fun fact, uh, Matt Damon plays the corrupt cop Colin Sullivan, uh, and originally yep. when the movie was being cast, Brad Pitt was cast as Colin Sullivan, uh, mm. but then oh, wow. the reports that, that, you know, a lot of reports that I, I read said that Brad Pitt claimed that he felt someone younger should play the role of Colin Sullivan. And mm. others say that he backed out because he was going to make uh, Babel, which also came out in 2006, uh, directed by... Yeah. Uh, Terrence Malick. Alejandro, Alejandro and Arito. Oh, Alejandro and Arito. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, like, you know, I mean, choosing between those two directors, I mean, they're both pretty pretty good directors. <laughs> so, like, I, don't, I, I probably would have gone the Scorsese route, but uh, that's just me. Uh, has Brad Pitt worked Scorsese? He hasn't, has he? I don't think he has, no. No, but he did no, stay on. Definitely as, not. Brad Pitt did stay stay on as a producer for the department. Uh, yeah, Plan B. Plan B is Brad Pitt's production company, yep. and they they produce this. Yeah, which I, as I recall in the Oscars, seeing Brad Pitt on stage for the department, I'm like, what did he have to do with this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, another uh, casting. Most of the fun facts I have are about casting, and I think that is interesting in in the grand scheme of this movie. But uh, Alec Baldwin was not the original choice to play Ellerby. Uh, and was cast after Mel Gibson turned down the role to work on Apocalypto. <laughs> okay. Oh, what could have um, been. I think we dodged the yeah. ball with this one, guys. <laughs> I, mean, I, I love Alec Baldwin in this role, and I'm I'm, he's great. I'm happy he's he, I'm happy he's here. He's really good. He's really good in this. Uh, Mark Wahlberg, who is of course going to be a big focus of today's episode, 
was nominated for Best Supporting Actor on this movie. And like much of the rest of the cast, he was not the first choice. In fact, he wasn't even the second choice. Uh, others named that had been considered prior to casting Wahlberg were Ethan Hawke, Ray Liotta, and Dennis Leary. All would have been awesome. They and all would have been awesome. I, honestly, they all would have been yeah. pretty good in this role. So. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, I think I think Wahlberg is is really good in this. Like he, he's do. not he doesn't have to do too much, but what he does is is really good. Like playing the angry cop who swears a lot in a Boston accent seems to fit him. I yeah, think he said perfectly. he based he based his performance on like the Boston cops that used to like try to arrest him when he was in high school and, <laughs> and being a a rowdy youth. Yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, and yeah he's, he's really good at that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I think that uh, those choices of Ethan Hawke, Ray Liotta, and Dennis Leary, any of those could have worked. Uh, they all had other prior commitments. Uh, otherwise, mm. it could have been any of them before Mark Wahlberg. Dennis Leary was recording his show, Rescue Me, at the time, and he, of course he was the star of that, and that show went on for many, many years. So, yeah, uh, it looks like it was an okay choice on his part to pass on The Departed. Uh, but uh, speaking of all the awards, uh, this movie, The Departed, did end up winning the Best Picture Oscar, in addition to Oscars for directing, adapted screenplay, and film editing. Uh, Thelma. And what I think is interesting about this is that Scorsese claims that he never thought about this movie for awards while they were making it, uh, because of how violent it was. And I, I'm a little skeptical of that remark, because every movie that Scorsese touches gets considered for awards. So, I mean, uh, it, like, is he really not considering the awards when he's making these I, movies? I think, I think nowadays Scorsese's movies are certainly mm. always considered for awards. Maybe not always, though. Um, not everyone he made was. And I, I completely agree with Scorsese. This, this is a not a typical Oscar Best Picture winner, considering sure. how violent it is. No. It's maybe the most violent... Well, no Country Old Men won the following year, so I guess they were on a they were on a hot streak. Or I'm sorry, two years yeah. later? No, yeah, the following year. Following um, year. But those two aside, like Best Picture winners aren't usually this violent. And yeah. I, I read a I sent you guys a Vanity Fair article about like the Oscar race in 2006, mm-hmm. and the Departed's win did kind of come out of nowhere. Like they didn't really do like a traditional Oscar campaign. So like if Scorsese while making it didn't think it was gonna be an Oscar movie. Maybe the studio agreed as they were promoting it. And they didn't do and the campaign could that be. they would normally put behind a movie like that. Not the traditional campaign, no. And also, like, Scorsese had just gone through the award season campaign ringer with um, Gangs of New York in 2002 and with The Aviator in 2005. And that, that's that's exhausting. Like, yeah. it's a lot of interviews, a lot of travel for, like, months, a lot of handshaking and baby kissing. So, like, he just didn't feel like doing that again. <laughs> that's the that's possible, yeah. Yeah, especially, and, um, well, especially the way Gangs of New York got all those nominations, and over ten, and didn't win a single one of them, and no nope, wins, over yeah. ten. And yeah. so maybe, maybe he really did go into this movie like I'm not even going to try because, like, if I can't it win any matter. in Gangs of New York, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But to to a certain extent, I feel like that there is a bit of a narrative behind this movie being the one that gets him finally gets him his oscar that he deserved because like of course. all of his of movies course, yeah. in his career kind of got sort of ignored either because they were too violent or because just they weren't uh, what the academy was looking for that year i guess but like goodfellas didn't win and then like raging bull you know taxi driver and king of comedy all those movies yeah, we haven't, were overlooked so we haven't actually said that this is the first movie to either win best picture or best director for for scorsese, for Scorsese which, which is, is 
pretty yeah. pretty wild. Uh, it's surprising. Yeah, we don't <laughs> have to relitigate really this, but it's it's wild. Yeah, and, and we are going to talk more about that, like you know, in our general discussion uh, of yeah. like you know where it fits in terms of all of Scorsese's movies and you know and all that. But the last fun fact I wanted to mention because I was definitely on a casting kick while I was getting these fun facts. Uh, <laughs> Roughly 50% of the $90 million budget went to actor salaries for this movie. Which that that is, makes sense. It's a huge budget for, for actors. Uh, but the movie did go on to gross worldwide $291 million, you know, $465,000. So, you know. Yeah, so it did okay. Not too bad. Money well spent, yeah. <laughs> and that, that, that was my point, is that this really does feel like, you know, while that was a huge budget for the actors, I don't think that they did any bad casting like every bit of casting in this movie worked for their roles and you know even all the way down to uh the you know the uh, secondary cops are mm-hmm. yeah you know, good performances anthony anderson. <laughs> anthony anderson anthony anderson yeah uh and i think it shows so like you know i sometimes i feel like that too much emphasis is placed on getting big name actors for for movies mm-hmm. uh but in this case, I really do think that it paid off that, you know, because even their lowest actors are, are you know, lo- I mean, lowest tier right, yeah. actors yeah. are nowadays, you know, pretty big names. <laughs> Shout yeah. out to uh, Kevin Corrigan, who plays DiCaprio's cousin. Yes. I, I love that guy. And he's, oh, he's yeah. really good in this. He also has yeah. one of my, you know, one of the lines that I think is one of the funniest in the movies. But uh, that's going to come up in our discussion as well, is how okay. funny this movie is. <laughs> Uh, but so let's go on to our, our general thoughts of of the movie. What, but also you know? Martin Sheen, I love Martin oh, yeah, Sheen Martin in anything Sheen. that he's in. Like he's so good always. Like he makes every anything that he's in, make, it makes it watchable for me. I also like with Martin Sheen. I also f- always feel like he's kind of lovable, and that oh, really yeah. fits yeah. with Captain Queen in, uh, in in this role. I think. I think older Martin Sheen is lovable. You're a West Wing yeah, guy, right? I am a West Wing guy. I even thought that's he was lovable why, in West Wing, man. <laughs> that's probably why you feel a certain way about Martin Sheen. But I'm also thinking about like Apocalypse Now. He's Apocalypse Now, yeah. A little more He's... nuanced than lovable. Okay, I mean that's <laughs> back then. Yeah, yeah. But but we're talking, more... we're talking thirty years. Unhinged. <laughs> we're talking late career Martin Sheen. I got you. Yeah. Uh, but you know, so like Captain Queenan is a, a, a really interesting character because he, you know, the whole movie's about corrupt cops. And, yeah. or, and not just corrupt cops, but like jerk cops, you know, like, you know, every cop, yeah. even the good cops are not really nice people for the most part. Not at all. He, he's a nice, warm, moral center, I think is what yeah. you're getting at. Yeah. Is he's a guy you can trust and you feel comfortable around him. And like, he's, yeah. And that's, that's a welcome relief in, in this kind of movie, in this kind of world. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sure. so our general thoughts, uh. Uh, you know, I can kick it off. Uh, the Departed is one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. It is probably my number two. Wow. Okay. <laughs> wow. So I, I truly awesome. do love this movie, and I know that it's it it has over time developed kind of a film bro reputation. Uh, has it? Not uh, to the extent of like Pulp Fiction and things like that, but I think yeah. <laughs> basically when when I talk about like film bro movies, I like picture a college dorm room. Okay. What are I the posters? Yeah, what are the yeah, posters yeah. you see on the wall? And The Departed, especially when I was in college, The Departed, you know, was one of those posters that I would see in people's rooms. Like, have you even seen this movie? <laughs> <laughs> it was also it was also pretty fresh when when you were in college when That's I was true. in college too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, so it's definitely not film bro like like we had the conversation about Pulp Fiction in our Tarantino yeah. episode. But 
it, hey. it, it, some people it has that reputation. And just like Pulp Fiction, I think that you know anyone who attributes it to that sort of like level of movie fandom, I think is doing it mm-hmm. a disservice because it yeah. is a fantastic movie. Uh, you can argue that it's not Scorsese's best. I'm willing to hear those arguments. Uh, I will argue that it's not yeah, Scorsese. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Me too. And, I, and I'm not going to be mad at someone for saying that. And I'm not going to be mm-hmm. mad at someone for saying that this isn't in their top ten favorite movies of all time or anything. But uh, honestly, for me, The Departed came out when I was in a freshman in college, and I honestly, yeah. th- I, I think I can credit The Departed with being the moment that I realized how much I love films. It's uh, a foundational text. It, this is a foundational you. text yeah. for me, and like it was very late in life. Uh, where I realized that like my affinity for movies is above average. It's not mm-hmm. you know like everyone right. enjoys movies, uh, but uh, The Departed was when I realized that I I really care about movies and the way they're made and you know the people in them and all that stuff. Uh, so this is a foundational text for me, as Josh likes right. to call it. Fantastic, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Hugo? Uh, so yeah, The Departed I think is great. It's you know. It, I think it's a bit more, even though, yes, we do talk about some of the violence that is in it. Um, but I do think it's, it's it's slightly more traditionally a crime drama compared to some of the other Scorsese films that are, that I, I think are a bit more um, stylistically interesting, if that makes sense. Um, in the sense that they, they I think some of the, some of his other movies have more of a distinct Scorsese feel to them. That this movie, for me at least, has a slight bit less. I, I think it's a bit less showy in the way that it's directed, um, and something like that. But I mean, that said, it's like the I think uh, um, for me, it's kind of a middle of the pack Scorsese film, which is still like an eight out of ten or higher, because anything he touches kind of turns to gold. So. Yeah, I, I think it's brilliant. And I think the, the, the performances are all great. Uh, the music's fantastic, as usual. Uh, the, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I, I think it's great. Okay. What about you, Josh? Yeah, Josh, what do you got? Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's it's certainly great. Uh, I'm I'm kind of like Hugo, I, I kinda keep this a bit at arm's length compared to some other people I know. Like Greer's like my my dad and both my brothers love this movie as much as you do it sounds like um it's among their favorites of all time and so i'm kind of like the odd man out in that i think it's really great and i really love it but i don't think it's among my favorites of all time it's maybe not even scorsese's top five for me mm-hmm. but it's it's still really good and i don't want to I'm, I'm gonna keep saying that because like i'm gonna i'm gonna be well, nitpicky about this later on but i want to say at the top like it's great yeah, yeah. we need to counter yeah. A little bit because obviously, like as I've said, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. So it, it like, mm-hmm. feel free to give me your 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 arguments on that because otherwise but, it's just going to be a bunch of people agreeing the whole right. Episode. But but <laughs> but you know, like you, it came out when you were a freshman in college, which means it came out when I was a junior a junior in high school. And um, senior so in high I, I you were a senior, right? I'm two years younger than you. So are I was, you really? I was a junior. Yeah, I thought you were only a year behind <laughs> me in school. No, I was two years behind you. I'm 2012. Oh Jesus! I'm an old guy. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to spring that on you right now. I'm so old. Um, but I, I say that I bring that up to say that I saw The Departed like around the same time or within a year that I first saw Goodfellas and Taxi Driver and Raging Bull, and like The Departed, you know, does not come out on top in those comparisons. So I think that's part of the reason I've always kind of kept it at arm's length is that I was discovering these other some of the best movies of all time around the same around the same time, and so. You know, The Departed's great. It's one of the best movies that year. I got no beef with his best picture win. Well, actually, a little bit, but we'll get to that. 
Um, mm-hmm. But it's it, it's flawed for me, and we can we can talk about why. But it's still really 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 good, and I love it. Okay, so one of the first things I wanted to talk about was uh, I wanted to ask the question: Is this Scorsese's most clever film in terms of dialogue? Like we've talked in previous episodes of uh, what a big fan I am of Sorkin's writing, and Sorkin did not write this movie. But uh, I like <laughs> the, thing, the thing I like about Sorkin is the clever you know banter that he gives between his characters. And I think we get mm-hmm. a lot of that in The Departed, a lot of really witty banter laced with rampant swear words and, and thick accents. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Yes, no, for sure. Like, basically, I'm thinking of his other work, and I feel like most of the quotes that I think of over and over again are usually said by Joe Pesci. And yeah. like this is like <laughs> this is like if every every character in this movie talks like Joe Pesci does in Scorsese's other movies. So like top to bottom, absolutely this is the best dialogue in a Scorsese movie. And I, I think that's probably one of the reasons why I love this uh, movie you know, more than you know any other Scorsese movie is because of the the dialogue. The, the, it's I I like and maybe this is a little you know uh, shallow like low low depth of you know in terms of enjoyment, but. For me, I love movies where you have a character that you can latch onto that you that is likable, and mm-hmm. I like when characters are clever. And so, any movie that has those features, uh, even if they're a complex character, like like uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character in this movie, uh, you know, you kind of latch onto it. You latch onto them because they, you know, he he's not he's a flawed guy and he's doing some shady stuff in this movie, obviously, mm-hmm. but he's undercover. Uh, and you know how much this is tormenting him to have to do these things. So, like, you know at his heart he's a good guy. And so I, I latch on to that sort of character and that sort of narrative. Uh, and then, like I said, just the, the whole witty dialogues. Uh, I, I think this is the most quotable uh, – you know, I say most it's, quotable it's up there. Scorsese movie. But the fact of the matter is that these quotes are not quotes that you can really use <laughs> regularly. <laughs> Some somehow I do though. But I find a way. I do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like, you know, did you guys have any favorite quotes or uh, you know favorite scenes or anything? Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to think of what I can say. I mean, everything that Mark Wahlberg says. Yes. Like, every yes. line he delivers in this is three hilarious. Quarters, I was about to say three quarters of the words that come out of his mouth are stone cold classic quotes in my mind. Um, but it's basically, Mark Wahlberg and Alec Baldwin in this movie. Every line yeah. they deliver is a hilarious quote. Well, amazing. So I was going to mention this later. Like, yeah, Wahlberg is really, really good in this. And yeah, he got a Best Supporting Actor nomination. But also, he's positioned to be that kind of character because he's given all the best lines. Alec Baldwin yes. at least has he at least has a few scenes where he has to, like, move the plot forward a little bit. Like, yeah. he's got to give the briefing on Castello and that kind of stuff. But, like, literally every time Dingham talks, it's a quip. Like, and so, like, it's easy it is. to... It's easy to come he, and, off the way he comes off. And I don't think he ever talks, because, like, he's always with Martin Sheen's character, who's, like, sort of the more older, wiser detective. who's The moral who's, center. <laughs> yeah, who's the moral center. And he's doing the exposition, and then Mark Wahlberg just says some wild sentence like that that nobody ever would say in real life. Um, and it's great. It's fantastic. Okay. Among my favorite quotes that I can say, because it's clean... I'm the guy who does his job. You must be the other guy. Yes, and I use that one all the time. <laughs> yes, that's a great that's one. That's one yeah. that I actually use in uh, in you know real life whenever I can possibly work that in there. But also, yeah. Al Baldwin, Al Baldwin hugging someone, going Patriot Act, Patriot, Patriot Act. Act. 
Ah, that was so funny. It's it's extra funny with Alec Baldwin because you know his actual political yeah. leanings. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, I also love uh, uh, Captain Queenan. You know uh, Martin Sheen. The line uh, mm-hmm. where he says, "Staff Sergeant Dignam has a style of his own. I'm afraid we all have to get used to it." <laughs> Oh, so and right, <laughs> right after that is, what's the man, a smartass? Don't you know when he effing Shakespeare? <laughs> when, he, when he quotes Hawthorne? <laughs> so it's just so funny. All the way through, uh, everyone has a moment where they get to deliver some funny lines, uh, except for Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, I was going to say DiCaprio doesn't have any DiCaprio doesn't never have much gets to be funny. This. No. <laughs> and I think that is appropriate. And uh, one of... Uh, that's one of the biggest strengths of the movie is, as we've talked about already, was the, the acting across the board. But I just, the way this movie stands out for me, especially Leonardo DiCaprio's performance in this movie, it stands out to me because uh, you are supposed to view his character as not a charming guy, not a, he's not a winner, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that Leonardo DiCaprio can convince yes. me that. You know, he's not a winner, that he is not a charming individual, is a excellent performance. <laughs> it really he, it's, it's not yeah. that he's... He does have to have a little bit of charisma in order to, like, infiltrate what he infiltrates. But right. it's a very specific kind of charisma. But, like, yeah. off-putting, but also, like, you want to you wanna rely on him and be around him kind of thing. Like, it, he is walking a very fine line, and you're right. It's, it's, he's really, really good in this. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think this is, was right. This was right around the time when he was like his his image as a proper brilliant actor was really exploding because he he'd started working in the early two thousands. He'd done he'd, he'd worked with Spielberg. He'd worked with Scorsese already. But I feel like The Departed is one of those. The Departed is one of the the, the <laughs> movies that sort of relaunched his career as not just the you know the, the pretty boy kind of lead. I, I think it was the Aviator right before this, and then this. Yeah, in like the it, one it's two around this those. time, though. Yeah, because yeah. he's not. Because he's not. He also kind of looks sick most of the time because he he he's supposed to be playing this kind of guy who's who's paranoid all the time and not sleeping and taking Valium like it's it's yeah. you know candy and so it, I think it's a brilliant performance by him and I think it it I think. <clears throat> It, you can tell that from this, he he started getting more interesting, introspective, and and weird roles. So yeah, for sure, he's great. But you know, obviously, his performance isn't the only excellent one. We've we've kind of touched on this already. You know, every performance in here was good, and I know that uh, that's one of the things Josh thinks is one of the greatest strengths of this movie. But I see Josh yep. in our notes. You also mentioned that the premise is one of the greatest strengths of this movie. What yeah. do you mean by that? Well, kind of like I said when we were talking about the adaptation from Infernal Affairs, is I think that I don't want to I don't want to say that this movie is execution independent because it, it's not, and the execution is really good. But also, like when I was sixteen, I heard Martin Scorsese was making a movie about a set of gangsters and the cops chasing them, and the gangsters have a mole in the cops, and the cops have a mole in the gangsters, and like that's all I need to know. You know, like, I'm in, I are, this is already my favorite movie of the year, and yeah, sure, I'll watch it, but, like, <laughs> I'm, I'm in from just the, the premise and the setup, and um, I, I think that this movie's great and the execution's good, but it's also kind of a mess, but it doesn't matter that it's a mess, because, like, it just 
from the word jump I'm in and I think a lot of people are in. That's what I mean when I say the premise is one of the biggest strengths in the movie. It's just Scorsese making this kind of movie is just always always going to be good. What are, what yeah, are some of the greatest strengths to you? So many... What, sorry? What are some of the greatest strengths for you from this movie? Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with Josh and I, I also think what, what it manages to do in terms of surprising you. Um, I feel like the film has a lot of moments where it gets quieter and then there's a huge scene out of nowhere that you didn't really expect. Um, so, for example, the scene where... Uh, oh, we're going into spoilers at this point, I guess, because okay, we're spoiler. half an hour in. Um, yeah, so so the scene where uh, Martin Sheen and, and um, Leo's character meet on the rooftop and, and they get caught by the uh, by the gangster, by Costello's gangsters, and, and Martin Sheen, unfortunately, dies... Um, that's the scene that that's the scene that you expect but then the scene after that where one of the guys who got shot one of the criminals who got shot tells leo oh i gave you the wrong address and you came to the right way yeah and you showed up anyway so how did you know i think there's there's a lot of those little moments in the film where something unexpected sort of catches you off guard and i and i think that's that's brilliantly done well, and I'm glad you brought that up. Strengths. I'm glad you brought those scenes up, Hugo, because I know that's something that Josh wanted to talk about. Yes, it is. Go ahead, Josh. What, what's your question? Uh, I mean, it's just that, you know, I, I've seen this movie many, many times, uh, a dozen, if not more, and I, I still don't, like, fully understand everything that happens. And I don't know if that's on me or if that's on the storytelling or if that's a stylistic choice that they're kind of, like, trying to keep me off kilter as an audience member. I'm not really sure, but... A few things about that scene in particular, like, oh, I mean, number one, like, Delahunt is the guy who, is Costello's guy who gets shot and killed in that sequence, yeah. and then pulls uh, Bill over and says, you know, I told you the wrong address. Why Why did he tell the wrong address? And the next scene after the, the news announces his death and claims he was an undercover cop, I, I don't think he was. Costello kind of waves it off and says it's because they want me to stop looking for the rat, but, like... Was Delahunt with the, with the cops? Why did he give Bill the wrong address? What was the what was the setup so there? I, I you think my understanding of it is he actually messed up and gave the wrong address. That that was a mistake that Delahunt okay. made. Uh, and then of course when he f- sees Bill Costigan, you know Leonardo DiCaprio at the scene, he puts two and two together that Costigan is the informant, uh, and he knows that there's an right. informant because he's a cop. In addition to the additional suspects, you know the, the suspicions that that whole their organization had about there being a rat. Uh, so he, since he knew that he was a cop, and knew that they were going to go catch the informant there, he had to know at that point. There's another one in here. That that the informant was Bill Costigan, and so then when he gets shot, and he and he's on the he's on his deathbed, and he pulls you know uh, Leo over and is talking to him. And he says, why didn't I tell them? Tell me why I didn't tell them. Yeah. And then they reveal in the next scene, he didn't tell them because he was a cop. He was a cop. <laughs> so, so you, but I also think that Frank's instinct makes sense where he says the news are saying he was a cop. So I stopped looking for the cop. Like, right. You so don't, you don't I think buy that, that. That's an extra, that, like it's an extra wrinkle in terms of uh, Frank Costello's way of thinking. Like he thinks that, no, there's definitely still a rat. Uh, and I'm okay. st- because because you know because Costello can't trust he can't really trust anybody right uh, and so and it, it would kind of make sense because uh, that he would think that because it 
it, it would be like the fact that the one guy that got killed happens, happens to, to be, be the rat, rat would be yeah to him would seem like a weird coincidence so, so i do i do think that whether he's a cop or not it would make sense for him to you know think that there's another mole in there Right. So it makes sense for Frank to continue thinking that. And it also is just happens to be the truth <laughs> that yeah, he so, was an undercover cop. But that brings up another question. It actually, it's not, I've, I've always wondered about Delahunt. Every time I watch this movie, I'm not sure what to think of Delahunt. But this most recent watch was the first time uh, this question came up in my head, which is mm-hmm. uh, why did Costello's guys kill Queenan? And Delahunt was among those guys. So if Delahunt's a cop, he goes up there, finds Queenan, and then throws is part of the crew that throws Queenan off the roof. Right. You know, like, I'm not sure an undercover cop would do that. I don't think he would kill his captain just to maintain undercover, you know? Well, so I, I you don't you don't get to see exactly what happens on that roof. And I think that yes. is a deliberate choice by the filmmakers to not show mm-hmm. you what's going on up there. Uh, my personal feeling is that Delahunt goes up there with the guys and things get out of hand. Cause like they go up there and, and Martin Sheen's like any, any of you mugs got a light. I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then they, they take it too far and they're, they're mm-hmm. trying to get information about the informant and all that. Yeah. And that, now Del- that's the thing. It, it doesn't make any sense for them to kill Queenan. Cause right. like they go up there thinking he's meeting his rat or his informant rather. And like, instead of finding out who the informant is or where the informant is, they just throw him off a roof. Like that doesn't yeah. make any that doesn't make any sense. So the rest of the the guys are goons, right? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. it's been, it was established earlier in the movie that not only are they just goons, they're not smart. Fitzy's no. a dumb guy. Yeah. yeah. And I imagine <laughs> that they go off the deep end, like they you know they take it too far mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they throw him off off the roof. And Delahunt is in a position where if he tries too hard to stop them from doing whatever they're doing then he's going to draw eyes on himself and that would defeat the purpose of him being a, a rat. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's all linear. That and it could sense. also, it could also be that they, it's things start to go down. They're going to throw queen in off the roof and Delahunt now has to make a decision between blowing his cover and, and undoubtedly being killed himself. Right. Yeah. Uh, Cause even if he did stop them from killing queen in at that time, now Frank Costello knows he's the he's a rat, and there's no way that he survives. <laughs> right, that's true. And I want I want to mention that you know we we talked about how Martin Sheen is like a, a comfort in this movie. He's the warm moral center. His death is a major escalation in the story. Oh, yeah. Like what, when you see his body fall, like I mean, DiCaprio is the first one to see it. It almost falls on falls him right and, in like, front of him. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel exactly what DiCaprio feels in that in that moment, which is oh shit, what are we gonna do now? You know, like, yeah. and how's he going to get out of this now? Exactly. Yeah. Like that's, it's a really uh, effective moment. I, and I think Martin about Gene's performances. Yeah. I, I think about a lot of moments in this movie in terms of how I, how, when I first watched it, when I was in theaters, uh, I, I didn't drink in my freshman year of college. So they had these, uh, uh, they, there was an organization on campus that provided activities for people who, who didn't want to go to parties and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. And okay. one of those, uh, activities they had one day was they provided buses to the theater uh, so that right. it, you know, you, people who didn't you didn't have to pay for a cab or anything like that and me and some friends went to watch The Departed uh, the, the opening weekend it, it was in theaters and uh, that's that moment where Martin Sheen comes off the roof the the audience is silent you know like it dumbstruck oh, yeah. and one of the guys in the audience a few rows in front of me just goes what? <laughs> <laughs> And that's great. 
and so that moment stuck with me, especially because a few scenes later, you know, at the end of the movie, more or less, where Leo is now on the roof with uh, Matt Damon, you know, and and all that, and they have the big the, the shakedown scene. Like I, I I knew it was you all along, and uh, well, not, not not all along. I knew I, I figured out it was you, and I'm bringing you in. I don't care that you deleted me from the records. I I I've, I've got you. I'm bringing yeah. you in. And then they come down the elevator. And this is another one of those big surprise moments that Hugo's talking about. They yeah. come the, the the elevator door like those you know Matt Damon says uh, oh just just kill me, just freaking kill yeah. me, and I then am killing you. I am killing you. Great line. Elevator door opens. Boom. I I, <laughs> I have not thought of elevators the same way since I saw ever this since. Movie. I've, I've not. Been, <laughs> yeah. But I don't think anybody just, has. Every, just every time an elevator door opens, you're just like standing on the side just in case. <laughs> just flinch a little bit. But yeah, the elevator door opens and. Uh, Billy Costigan gets gets shot in the head uh, by yeah. one of the other police officers, and yep. <laughs> that moment again, the guy a couple rows in front of me goes, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> same again, guy, <laughs> same guy. The whole audience was silent again. What? And then the rest of that scene progresses, and this by the end of it, the guy is like screaming in disbelief. <laughs> he like... can't believe like this is what's happening, and I was right there with him. It was absolutely yeah, yeah, insane. Yeah. And oh, it's really unexpected because at that point of the movie, you're expecting, oh, he got him and, and Mark Wahlberg's character is going to help him out and is going to, you know, save his face and, and, you know, reinsert him in society. And then the movie just goes downhill completely, takes a left turn. But if if I can add a, a point to, to what Josh was saying, like the these sort of que- there are different moments in the film where you can have sim- a similar type of question where you, you're not completely sure of what actually happened um and what is going on and i think the, the film has some moments where the editing makes it makes it a bit confusing like there there are a few moments where the film jumps forward in time or jumps from one scene to another and and there's no clear indication of how these two scenes link with each other and so it, it does seem a bit confusing sometimes but um on the other hand it could be just intentional that you know I, it, it I, wants I to I add to your paranoia I think it's to add to your level of paranoia, your, your level of being unsure yeah, yeah, yeah. of what's happening around you. And the reason the I, good guys are. And this may be looking at it in retrospect, but it won Best Editing at the Oscars. Yeah. So that would lead yes. me to believe that they believe, and, and Josh has opinions on that, <laughs> but it would lead me to believe that at least in terms of the Oscars voters, that they believe that those things were intentional and not yeah. mistakes in editing. Uh, no, I... And I and I I don't know if it is a mistake. Like I, I do agree that it's probably intentional, and the intention is to make you feel that paranoia of not knowing who's a good guy, who's a bad guy, and anything can happen at any moment. But at the same time, I felt like the first time I watched it, it this isn't something that I really noticed. But watching it again today, uh, it it did feel like on a rewatch, it it felt a bit more disjointed because I already knew what the surprises were going to be. So that editing style wasn't quite as effective at putting me into the mood the movie was trying to set and I was just like oh wait so this is a year later or uh, how much time has passed they're moving in together now they're getting married like it, yeah. it, it does move on it's moving at a with clip those elements. for sure yeah um, um, but again it, yeah it's, it's it's a relatively small criticism overall the, the first the first 18 minutes before the title drop in this movie mm. are edited at such a crazy breakneck pace yeah 
that it's it's hard to keep up. And mm-hmm. I mentioned the, knowing the premise of this movie beforehand, and I did. I don't think anybody turns this movie on without knowing the general premise that you know it's mm-hmm. a rat, two 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 rats. And yeah. had I not known that, I would not have been able to follow the first eighteen minutes of this movie because it moves so quickly and kind of to Hugo's point, a little disjointedly. Like the the time is kind of compressed and expanded in odd ways. Like, um. Bill Costigan, Leo DiCaprio's character, is being interviewed by Captain Queenan and Sergeant Dingham, uh, Martin Sheen, and Mark Wahlberg. And, like, that's cross-cut with Colin Sullivan, Matt Damon's character, doing a lot of stuff. And, like, a lot of time passes in Colin's timeline that they're cutting to and from just during the interview with Bill that presumably takes, like, a couple of hours. And that's Mm -hmm. that's not the only time in the movie where you're cutting between two scenes one of which is taking place on one timeline and the other set of scenes is taking place on like a much larger timeline. Yeah. Um, when um, DiCaprio goes to see uh, Vera Farminga's character, um, Madeline, the psychiatrist, yeah. uh, Matt Damon's fiance, um, he first like talks to her about what he's been going through and then it cuts to a different scene and then it cuts back to Bill and uh, Madeline talking about getting Valium and then it cuts to a different scene and then it cuts back to Bill and Madeline having coffee. So, like, that's, like, three scenes of Bill and Madeline that takes place over the course of a few hours. And, like, in w- while that conversation is happening, you see the microprocessors deal with the Chinese. You see uh, a lot of different, like, plot stuff happen. And, like, the fact that they, like, cut up that Madeline-Bill scene just to show all that is, like, an odd choice. I'm not really sure, you know, what the thought process there was. Um, well, so, with, with that scene... I. First, I want, I want to go back. You know, when he's doing the interview, that is to yep. set up that uh, Colin Sullivan is doing everything right and is mm-hmm. the ultimate success story for the the, the Boston Police Department. He rises fast. <laughs> he rises fast. <laughs> That's another quote, but probably not an appropriate one for us to share. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's to show that how how much he's succeeding in parallel to the conversation that. Is happening with uh, Queenan and Dingham and and Costigan, which is that you know Leonardo DiCaprio's character has accomplished nothing, and is you know is a bum. He comes from a, a family of bums, and <laughs> not literal bums, but you know well, what I mean. It's yeah. not that he's a bum though. It's he's actually really smart. Like they actually say like you got a whatever on your tattoos. You're an astronaut, not a co-op. They some. I mean, what they're doing is trying to rattle his cage because what they yeah. tell him is you're both too good and also not good enough to be a cop, kind of. And, like, right. they're just trying to get under his skin because they're mm-hmm. vetting him for the role they have in mind for him. Like, I get all that. I get, like, the story... Te- I get what that interview is doing, but it, it's... I don't know. It jumps around a lot. Uh, like like uh, Hugo said, like, at one point, DiCaprio meets with Dingham and, and Sheen and says, I've been at this for a year already. And I'm like... Yeah. Really? You have? Oh, I had no oh, sense yeah. of that. Yeah. I can understand the, the complaint about... have only seen a few scenes of that. The, uh, ...the pacing in terms of timing, for sure. What, what, what's up, Hugo? Yeah, and to be completely fair, this is this thing with the passage of time being relatively unclear is something that I feel in a lot of Scorsese films. I agree. Uh, it's not just this one. Like, it, it, Goodfellas and, you know, The Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, the Irishman less so because of the de-aging thing that makes it very clear what 
is happening when. I mean, the but passage I of time is sort of the point of that movie, so they kind of exactly make so it, find it, a point of it. It really is clear, but it, it a lot of these Scorsese films, especially these crime dramas that he does, uh, I do think that's the editing is really propulsive, which helps with the tone of the film. But at the same time, it does feel sometimes that the passage of passage of time isn't very clear. I'm I'm never sure how much time is passing. Uh, I'm never sure, you know, it, this this happened over 10 years, did this happen over five, this has happened in, you know, a month apart from each other. It it does get a bit confusing. Josh and I both have things we want to say. I, I My thing is about your what you were saying about the Madeline scene, the coffee scene. If you want to comment on what Hugo was saying first, go ahead. I got a, a larger comment, so you do okay. your thing. So, do my thing. Right, yeah. the, the, in reference to the discussion about the scene where, where Leo's getting the prescription from Madeline and then they go get coffee... I think the jumping around in that scene is to show uh, that because during the whole conversation, Leonardo DiCaprio is kind of being a bit uh, flippant with the whole conversation, yeah. right? And he's trying to play it cool and not be uh, play it cool is not the right word. He's 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 just trying not to make a huge deal. He's not trying to you know. He's not actually trying to engage into the psychotherapy right. of it. He's just there to get the pills, really. Right. And I think the jump cuts between all those things that happened, like that he's been involved with, is to show, no, this guy really needs the therapy. Yeah. <laughs> and that these are the things he's he been does. doing. And, you know, at the end when he's, like, begging for Valium and he, and he says he has his one real moment in that conversation, mm -hmm. it's, it's to show that, like, yeah, he's not, he's not just trying to get the drugs because he yeah. just wants the drugs. Dude kind of needs them, because he's done some messed up stuff, and because we know right. that he is, at his heart, a good guy, those things will mess with you, because he's been involved with some stuff that a good guy would never actually want to do. That, that That's what I think the purpose of that is. And if you think that's a, a weak purpose for it, I understand, but that that's what I think that scene is doing. I, I, think, the movie, I think I'm just like pointing that as an example of how the movie kind of jumps around a lot and is a little bit disjointed. And yeah. it's not as it's not as coherent for me as some of Scorsese's other movies. But I, I put this in the outline, and th this is what I was going to say earlier, Grizz, is maybe the incoherence is a little part of the point. Um, mm -hmm. I've kind of always like held that against the movie because I've seen it so many times, and it still kind of doesn't make complete sense to me. But uh, again, maybe to, to give it a more generous read, maybe that's a, a stylistic choice. Um, there are a lot of unanswered questions I have. I've already mentioned a few of them. Another one I have is, you know, when Queen and in... Bill meet on the roof and Bill asks Queen about the FBI and about the possibility of Costello being an informant for the FBI. Queen says they're compromised. The FBI is compromised. And then that never comes up again. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so like, I'm not sure, I'm not sure what to make of that, but again, maybe that's all part of the point. The fact that I don't know if Delahunt is a cop or not. The fact that I don't know if the FBI is compromised or not. Like you, we don't know who to trust and who's lying and who's trying to right. kill you and that kind of thing. And, and the fact that the editing is kind of all over the place and it, it's disorienting, maybe that's all part of the point too. Um, mm -hmm. And I just want to put here that I, I, I put this in the outline. I think an under-discussed theme of this movie is uh, the bureaucracy of justice and how that can be frustrating. This is a pretty frustrating movie for me at times, but again, maybe that's part of the point. Like the fact that, you know, Queen tells Bill, it takes time to build this case. I will get you out of this, but I just need time. When Leo's like, I've been at this for a year. Why haven't you arrested him yet? It's frustrating that they haven't arrested Costello yet, despite yes. having this mountain of evidence against him. That's very frustrating to Bill and to the audience. Um, the fact that Costello is an FBI informant and, like, that's why they can't touch him. That's very frustrating, but it's also kind of like the nature of how the justice system works. Like, they need witnesses, and so they have to make compromises in order to get witnesses. Like, 
they can't arrest Costello because he's giving them other guys. Like, that's kind of like uh, the nature of the system, but it's also very frustrating for us because we're watching Costello do all these things and we're watching Bill be put in danger and that kind of thing. Um, and like the fact that Colin nearly gets away with it is very frustrating. Like Matt Damon, nearly he, he gives a statement in the microphone. He says, I want to uh, recommend Captain Costigan for the Medal of Merit. Like, you little snake, you're going to get away with this. Yeah. yeah. And, and he doesn't, but only because Mark Wahlberg does some extrajudicial actions. He goes outside of the system and like commits murder. Comes, like, it's, it's straight yeah, up. He, he's yeah. <laughs> he's right. He's the audience there, though, isn't he? <laughs> right. The guy right, in the audience. Like, I mean, the guy in the audience with me when that happened. Yeah. Yes. It's like what? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think there's something to that that like we watched this. We watched two and a half hours of uh, process pol- police mm-hmm. procedure. People trying to like do by the book get bring these down, bring these guys down in the correct way, in a lawful way, and it doesn't work. Because and then the one thing that does work. Sim- system. Right, but then the one thing that does work is just. Shooting them in the face and then putting on your little booties and walking out and leaving no DNA behind. (laughs) And at the same time, I feel like there's some veiled criticism of how the system works. Like the fact, even the line uh, about the Patriot Act is, you know, it it, it, it is Scorsese sort of breaking through and commenting on on how this works. The fact that in order to get the guy, you have to be so corrupt and you have to make deals with the guy. But at the same time, you're using a system that is, you know, invading privacy to, to, to a, you know, a, a perhaps worrying extent in the ability of what these policemen are able to do and what they can do, which is, you know, within the system. So I think it all kind of comes back to this veiled criticism of it. So go ahead, Chris. I obviously we you know, I love this movie, but because we are starting to we we've, we're running long on this particular segment, I kind of want to move on to oh, some wow. of yeah. our our key questions for this, and let's just <laughs> let's give our responses to these. Uh, not we don't have to rush through it, but you know, give a full response. But uh, mm-hmm. we're just going to move on to the rapid question. fire. Uh, is this a top tier Scorsese movie to you? I'll start with Josh. No, no. Okay. I... Goodfellas, Raging Bull, Taxi Driver. And then this is B tier with like Wolf of Wall Street and I don't know After Hours. Okay. Uh, uh, I yeah I think it this is sort of um, almost uh, high tier top tier Scorsese, but kind of outside of my top five. Yeah, say. that's that's about where I'm at. Like I love this. Yeah. It's this is a great. It's just that Scorsese's it's made great. some of the best movies ever, exactly. and this is not it one should. of the best movies ever. So, so you know. and also I have I have Shutter Island really high because I love that movie. That it. it for some reason, that one really worked for me because it's something different by him. And it's psychological. So, yeah. You know, that, that's yeah. a thing that, that Hugo loves is a really... Yeah, that I really enjoy, Psychological yes. movies. I get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, obviously, one of my favorite movies of all time. So, yes, I think it's a top-tier Scorsese movie. In terms of Scorsese-ness, I think mm-hmm. it would be on the lower end of the top-tier Scorsese yes. movies. Yes, that, that's a great point. Because Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, those are quintessential Scorsese at his most Scorsese, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, definitely uh, for me, it would be top tier, but I can fully understand the argument for why it would not be, especially in terms of how Scorsese, a Scorsese movie is. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, next question. Did it deserve best picture? Josh? Yes and no. Uh, if you look at the other best picture nominees that year, I think this is the best one. But also if you look at, you know, 2006 with 15 years of hindsight children of men came out this year and pan's labyrinth came out this year and the prestige and 
and none of those were nominated for Best Picture. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think Children of Men was the best movie this year, but the, of the five nominees, The Departed deserved it, I think. Hugo? Yes. I, I think it's deserving of being in that conversation for Best Picture of the Year. And even though it may not be my pick, but it, it, it's definitely out of the ones that were nominated, I, I agree, I, it would probably be my pick. I obviously think it it was the best picture of that year, and but yeah. I also I with in respect to movies like Pan's Labyrinth and um, Children of Men, those are groundbreaking and truly unique movies. Exactly, so I can fully understand the argument for why you mm-hmm. would would think that those are uh, more best picture worthy. They stand out. I think both Guillermo del Toro, who made Pan's Labyrinth, and Alfonso Cuarón, who made Children of Men, they both became Academy darlings later in their careers After. and they both won their fair share of oscars but i think pan's labyrinth is the best thing del toro's ever done and children of men is the best thing corone's ever done so it's hard Agreed. to like yeah tough to argue with tough that, that they tough they were overlooked uh so and then last thing i wanted to ask uh, i guess actually two more questions was scorsese's best director oscar a lifetime achievement award for this movie like did he get this award because he hadn't gotten the award for previous movies and it was just time to some he may, extent, he may have won regardless. I, to be honest, yeah. Uh, to some extent, though, I I can see that argument because I I could see how this movie might win the best picture over the other ones that I've mentioned. But in terms of just direction, like Children of Men is it, direction is everything for that film. Like that film is driven by the directorial choices, and uh, and I think and it became famous for them with the long takes and and all that. So uh, I do think not giving it to Guaron on this specific year is, is difficult, but, but yeah. So, but at the same time, again, it's a very well-directed film. So it's not like, Oh, it was, you know, a, a crazy pick by the Academy or anything. I mean, like it certainly that. wasn't a crazy pick, I, I but yeah. it definitely felt to me like this was a makeup Oscar because of the, to previous, some extent, to, possibly, to, a, yeah. to a certain extent. Mm. That, that, that's kind of what I mean, like, yes and no. Like, yeah, he should have won it, like, three or four other times before this. So in that sense, it's kind Absolutely. of a makeup Oscar. But also, Who won like... in 1990? Probably Kevin Costner, I imagine. I, oh, I would no. think, but I'm not actually sure. Um, that said, though, like, I also don't know... I mean, Alfonso Cuaron, I think, should have won, but he also wasn't nominated. Of the nominees, right. I think I think Scorsese is definitely the, the pick. It's not like... If this is a makeup Oscar, it's not like he took it from someone else who's more deserving. So it's like, yeah. he deserved it, but also, like, he, this isn't his best directed movie or his best movie either. But, I mean, whatever. That's the nature of the Academy. Right. Uh, and then, so then my, my last question, because uh, this is going to lead into our main topic. We still have to rank the, the movie in our in our ranking. But the last question I wanted to ask is, uh, is this Mark Wahlberg's best performance? Huh. No, not for me. Uh, I, but it's like maybe top three, top, top two I maybe. Think, I think yeah, top three, top three for sure. But I wouldn't say that it is it, that it's his. For best. me, it is, and simply because like yes, it's you know he plays a lot of cops and and, mm-hmm. and he's a tough guy, yeah. and so this is a role. It's a role he was made for, and it is. It's a role where he can be, he can go as full Wahlberg as he wants to, and <laughs> and it it can't hurt this role. <laughs> yes that I, it, that's true i think it's like a little one note that one note is awesome so i'm not complaining yeah. but like in terms of his best performance like this is kind of only mark Wahlberg doesn't have a ton of range but he has slightly more range than what he's doing here i think if that's yes. fair that's fair that's fair 
Well, so let's let's do our ranking. Uh, I'll just run through it real quick. Uh, at number 12, we have Godfather 3, Electric Boogaloo. 11, Sugarland <laughs> Express. 10, Iron Man 3. 9, Matrix Reloaded. 8, Jackie Brown. 7, Mank. 6, Rudy. 5, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. 4, It's a Wonderful Life. 3, The Thing. 2, Boogie Nights. And number 1, we have Citizen Kane. Uh, we can go ahead and start with everyone else. <laughs> Hugo, sure. what, do, what do you got first? I... Yeah, I would put it based on this list. Obviously, as a caveat, I would I was I would put it at number four. I would put it below the thing above. It's one for life. Josh, okay. Um, I think I'd put it behind. It's a wonderful life. So it's behind Citizen Kane, Book of Nights, a thing. And it's wonderful life, and it's ahead of yeah. My Rainy, Rudy, Mank, Jackie Brown, Matrix, Iron Man Three, Chocolate Express, and Godfather. And for me, as it's one of my all-time favorite movies of all time, of course, I would put it number one. But Okay. That's not how our, our voting system works. So it w- we would have gone to above Ma Rainey's with, with all of us agreeing it's above Ma Rainey's. Yes. And then Josh would put his hand down. Or yeah. no, sorry, then Hugo would put his hand down, right? No, I, no, no, I, I put my hand down, yeah. So then it would yeah. be right above It's a Wonderful Life because after yes. that, Hugo puts his hand so down. Number so number four. So number four, The Departed. Get The Departed. Okay, great. I'm cool with that. So every uh, time we read off the list, we have to do the accent when we get to the departed. The that's, departed. That's you have to do rule. it every time you say it, let alone reading the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how it works. <laughs> that's how it works. Uh, so uh, for our main topic, we're talking about Mark Wahlberg and yes. uh, Booner Bain. And the, the premise is, does Mark Wahlberg ever add to the overall quality of the movie season, or does he set your expectations at a level of mediocrity <laughs> that he can either meet <laughs> or fail to meet. <laughs> uh, and that, that seems harsh, but, you know, if you look at all of Mark Wahlberg's movies, and yeah. there's a lot of them, they are... There is a lot of them. Universally, save for a few movies, very mediocre movies. Like, they're all 60s. 60 I think that's Wahlberg. fair to say. <laughs> yeah, so, I think a lot of them are. So is yeah. it... But the question is basically, is that a, a fault of Mark Wahlberg, or... You know, what's the reason for that, more or less? I am curious how he chooses his roles, I think. Yeah. Um, I have that later in the outline as a later discussion topic, yeah. but that's just kind of like a, a general thing. Like, I'm, I, like I know that he, he wasn't the first choice in The Departed. He also wasn't the first choice for a few of his other movies. And, like, like um, I, I wonder why the first choice has turned them down, but then Mark Wahlberg said yes. I wonder if he's just like not as discerning, possibly, or maybe he doesn't care if the quali- what the quality of the movie is, and is more more cares about like how his character comes off. That's a possibility, and Could like I'm not going to hold that against him. A lot of people pick projects that way, I'm sure. But um, like in general, when I see Mark Wahlberg's in a movie, I usually just kind of let that movie pass me by, and if I hear it's good, I'll check it out. But if not, I'll just kind of let it go. And that's and that's where I'm at on Wahlberg yeah, movies. I'm largely I think, the same on that. Yeah, I think he he largely doesn't care too much about the quality of the movie. He's just doing something because, I don't know, playing a cop who shoots people is, is, is probably fun for him and he's making a lot of money. Um, yeah. But at the same time, there are some projects where you can tell he really cared. Like, I, I watched um, The Fighter this week mm. and that's a movie for which he trained for six years. He was the one producing it. He got in touch with the family of the actual people that he was portraying because he wanted uh, he wanted the character that he was playing, which is like he's Mickey Ward, a boxer from Lowell, Lowell, whatever. How do you pronounce that? But it's, it's a, around Boston. Um, 
which was kind of a local hero of his and he really cared about that film and I think it's his best performance because he prepared for years for that and and had the the character the 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 protagonist around uh, the set because he wanted to mimic his like you know his mannerisms and all that so I think the level to which he cares about the performance and the film varies but when he does he can be good not I mean he's not amazing but like decent well the the thing about the fighter is that that was nominated that had three acting nominations and two acting wins at the oscars and yep. none of them went to mark Wahlberg. None, none like of those were mark. That, that's to to kind of repeat myself about boogie nights i think that movie is really good and mark Wahlberg is passable in it but everyone else yeah. is good around him mm-hmm. uh i mean amy adams Melissa leo and, and christian bale for example and he's he's fine and yeah i i appreciate that he prepared so much but um, a Mark Wahlberg movie I watched this week was a movie called Rockstar, which came out in 2001, and apparently Wahlberg also prepared for that one pretty heavily, where he grew his <laughs> hair out, he, he, he grew his hair out, he, like, would walk around, like, the Sunset Strip in character, like, in costume, in, like, his leather pants and whatever, and, like, but that movie is just really boring, and, like, he, yeah. you know, there's a lot of extended sequences of just him lip-syncing on stage in, in heavy metal gear, and, like... Um, when, when I was talking about like how he chooses his roles, I know that Brad Pitt was originally attached to that movie, but then he left mm-hmm. due to creative differences of the studio. And I wonder if the creative differences was just Brad Pitt could tell this movie wasn't very good. And Mark Wahlberg's <laughs> like, and Mark Wahlberg's like, well, I mean, I'll get to play a rock star. So that's cool. So like, yeah, yeah I'll do it. I'll, and yeah, I'll do it. I'm free. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have yeah, to sing. Great. Like, perfect. <laughs> yeah. He seems like the kind of guy who's like, oh, th- this is a cool cop character. Sure. I'll do it. I don't care what the yeah. script says. And, like, you know. And like. You know, another thing about Mark Wahlberg is he, he has a lane, and he's yeah. really good in that lane, and yeah. I, I, I feel bad saying that because, like, famously he said about The Happening, the happening. Yep. part of why he took The Happening is because he got to play a science teacher and not a cop or a criminal, and I'm like, you know, good for you, buddy, like, go go play parts that make you happy, but also that movie sucks, so, you know. It's so, it, it it's sucks, so and he's bad in it. Yeah. <laughs> he, yeah he's... He, he's, he's bad in it. But also, like, I'm not sure who else could have been much better in it. That movie is just ill-conceived and bad execution of an ill-conceived idea. So, like, I'm not Zoe sure who could have saved. No, Zoe Deschanel no is actor. also really bad in that, too. Yeah. Like, she's, she's terrible in that. And I think yes. she's a really good actress. So, yeah. yeah. And, yeah, I think he has, like, a few types that he can play quite yeah. well. Which is, like, the goofball dad type well, so, so goofy... That's... That, that's the thing. I don't think he ever Funny actually guy. plays the goofy guy. He's in movies no. where they are where well he's in a lot of comedies, but he's not funny. He's, no, okay. he's the straight man. He's, he's the, the contrast man. to the goofy guy. That's yeah. what I mean by goofy is more of a sort of a a I can't explain this. Is he's like the dad character. He's like such a dad character. And he's I, a serious, I say this a serious guy and, and dad doesn't let yeah. you have fun. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. But also he'll crack a joke, but it'll be a lame joke. That type of thing. He's that type of character, in my opinion. But I and feel he, like and those, I think he he, he kind of works in that sense. With the, I mean, and, and it does work in some cases for sure. But when he does yeah. those dad jokes, I'm not sure that they are supposed to be dad jokes. I know. Sometimes that's I feel the like thing. they were written as actual <laughs> jokes, and he just can't deliver an actual joke. Yeah. <laughs> that could be. That could be. I guess. Yeah. Ha- having having watched a few of his movies, more movies of his this week than I have probably ever, I've, I've started like <laughs> kind of 
I've started kind of like see the code, the matrix, and I see like what kind of character he plays over and over again. And like, yeah, he, he in his he plays a lot of gritty action heroes. Like that's, mm-hmm. but that's on kind of only one slither of his filmography. Like, but between his comedies and his action movies, I feel like what he always plays is a good guy. Yes. Like yeah. his characters are never the fool. They're never the, people don't get the best of his characters. He's always the funniest guy in the room, the toughest guy in the room. He can beat you in a fight. He's good at sex. He's not going to be made a fool of, like, that kind of thing. <laughs> he Every, has a giant and, schlong. <laughs> sure. But, like, that's kind of like, you know, talking about a, a Mark Wahlberg character. Like, and I talk, I mentioned, like, how he maybe picks his roles. I think he, I mean, he might just pick his role based on how, what would make him look the coolest, you know? Very Over possible. quality of the movie. And, like, you know, I'm not disparaging him because, again, a lot of guys are like that. But just... That's that's what I'm seeing is like he just wants to look cool and maintain his image and I don't fault him for that but that's kind of the, the pattern I see in his his characters and and yeah, like, like he was taking for some big of the chances it works for some of those movies that he is the cool yeah. guy like the other guys a lot of people truly love that comedy and I, I enjoyed it I, I don't think it was top tier like some people do but mm-hmm. you know he's not bad in it and Will Ferrell yeah. is excellent in it. And that's that's actually you asked my favorite if Departed was his best performance. I think the other guys might be Mark Wahlberg's <laughs> best performance, or at the very least, it's the best utilization of his skill set. Yes, like taking what he's good at and get and letting him do exactly what he's good at. Like all of Mark Wahlberg's skills are on display in the other guys. Okay, yeah, him just that. being annoyed by Will Ferrell all the time, mm-hmm. it, it does work. The one that well, I yeah. the other one that I consider for one of his best performances is actually Ted. Uh, right. Again, we, we establish that he's always the cool guy, right? Ted is the mm-hmm. one time where we actually see him be a little bit of a, a like a goofball, like you said, like where like, where yeah. he has you know the, the whole he's afraid of thunder thing, and seeing <laughs> Mark Wahlberg, notorious tough guy, you know, yeah, snuggled up so in bed with, with a talking um... teddy bear, singing a song about you know thunder and how the, you know because they're buddies they thunder can't hurt them anymore yeah you know like it, it's, it's funny because because what we know and feel about mark Wahlberg in his other performances so i think i i don't the reason i think that a part is a better performance is because i think mark Wahlberg actually does perform the role of dingham well and yes and, and, and sure. i could say that in other guys as well he performs that role well i think ted is probably the movie that takes advantage of your expectations of mark Wahlberg to yeah. the greatest effect Yes, and it's it's interesting you say that because I think that there are a few times where, um, to to give an ungenerous read of Mark Wahlberg, I think there are a few times where the directors knew what they were doing and harnessing Mark Wahlberg's image and power, and maybe he didn't know what they were doing. I'm yeah. thinking about uh, uh, Pain and Gain is a Michael Bay movie that I think is actually a really really good movie I with hate Mark that Wahlberg movie so much <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's Mark Wahlberg in the rock and Mark Wahlberg plays this giant uh meathead gym like <laughs> personal trainer who 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 thinks he's smarter than everyone else and he's absolutely not and that's where the drama of the movie comes from is he tries to pull off this like scheme Elaborate and it goes horribly crime. wrong <laughs> yes and maybe maybe Alt Wahlberg was in on the joke but also maybe he wasn't because it really is like a joke about that kind of guy and how much Wahlberg kind of is. Maybe he's not that kind of guy. I don't know. Yeah. But um, Boogie Nights also, to some extent, might also have been like a harnessing Wahlberg's powers against him to some extent. Like, I'm not sure how much he was in on, hey, Mark, you could play this like super sexy dude who has sex with a lot of women. Like, come come join us, right? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah that sounds good. And actually, it's 
a little more <laughs> nuance than that. And yeah. I don't know. Maybe he was in on it. Maybe he wasn't. I don't know. Pain and Gain is like a truly awful movie to me because, like, <laughs> like I said, I like movies where there is someone likable and there pe- there's and people, not and people no are one likable in Pain and Gain. <laughs> there is no one clever and there is no one likable <laughs> in Pain and Gain. And like, you, to, to make The Rock not charismatic is mind blowing to me. <laughs> that movie is so and, bad. And uh, Anthony Mackie too. I <laughs> yes. think it's good. Like, I, I dig that movie. I think it's good. No one in that movie makes a single decision that any rational person would ever make. Ever. Yeah. <laughs> Buddy, I like I like Cone Brothers movies. So okay. obviously yeah. I don't I don't need rational decisions all the time. Yeah, good. I'm a, a little insulted on the Cohen Brothers' behalf that you just lumped pain and gain in, in the same category. No, no, as. I'm just saying, yeah. characters making characters making bad decisions. Like, yeah, give me the Safties, give me the Cohens. Like, that's that's my okay. shit. It's great. I, yeah, that makes sense. That I'm makes sorry. Sense. There's, I have there's to spoil some sort of just a little bit of the though. movie. There's a part in the movie. Um, and this is a spoiler for pain and gain. A little bit, uh, Hugo. You don't mind if I spoil? Oh no! Oh so, no! Don't. <laughs> the spoiler is there's a part of the movie where they're disposing of a body. And the, the method they choose to dispose of the body is to grill it. Oh, my God. I, I forgot <laughs> about that. That's, that's hilarious, though. They're out in the front driveway grilling human body parts and, like, waving to the neighbors and stuff. And, and wait, you're telling me this is a bad movie that you don't yes. like? That, that is crazy. So dumb. on the movie. I'm, I'm going to watch it tonight. That's pretty good. It's so bad. That, yeah. But what, what Valentine's Day movie. That's bringing perfect. it back to uh, Mark Wahlberg, Booner Bane. That movie is terrible, but the happening is so much worse. <laughs> so, oh yeah, yes. But because at least yeah, Pain and Gain happening... was made like was like an interesting premise, an interesting story behind it. <laughs> here's a take on the happening, and here I don't want to get too far into M Night Shyamalan's filmography, but like if you look at the movies he made, including the ones that work, um, any any high concept horror movie or high concept psychological thriller like he makes. They have yeah. the potential to go off the rails, and his first movies were kept on the rails. I think largely, well, the writing was better, number one, but also he had really good central performances from Tony Collette and Haley Joe Osmond and uh, Mel Gibson. Bruce Willis. He's great in signs. Um, Bruce Willis, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, Bryce Dallas Howard. They're all really, really talented performers, and they kept those movies on the rails as much as they could. And. Mm-hmm. Mark Wahlberg just isn't as talented of a performer as those people, number one. But also, like, again, the writing is considerably worse, I think, in The Happening than in anything Ugh, else. So, so I'm not sure anybody else in The Happening would have salvaged that movie. But no, I it don't was think... a rough, rough look for Mark Wahlberg, I for sure. Really I think for... that, movie, Go ahead, that movie is dead in the water at the script level. It's I, just yeah. not... Yeah. I feel so bad for John Leguizamo. Because the dude has just been in some yeah. absolute stinker movies. And I don't... <laughs> I don't know that it's his fault, but uh, and I also I don't know that it's Mark Wahlberg's fault either on the on the happening. But like, man, tough luck being in Spawn and Mario Brothers and, <laughs> and the happening. Like, sorry, dude, tough break it's, there, John Leguizamo. John, John Leguizamo's been in some great movies too. <laughs> I know though. he has, I'm but sure like, he's had a great career. Yeah, his stinkers really stink. That's <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so, other questions I had. Uh, regarding our topic of Mark Wahlberg here. Uh, are there roles that he is consistently good at or just roles that he isn't bad at? Yeah, I think yeah. Go ahead, you go. What, we started, what we started saying is the fact that he plays a similar type in a lot of his movies is because he gives you just the base consistency of 
performance. Right. So the question is, is that good? Perhaps quite. Well, I mean, there are actors who are one note, but you love them in the roles that they do. Like, you know, Keanu Reeves is an example that comes to mind. Sure. I don't. He doesn't have a lot of emotional range and all that. But at the roles that you, if you cast him in the right thing, he's great for that thing. Sure. And, you know, I think Mark Wahlberg hasn't had as much of as much luck as Keanu or isn't as good as Keanu at choosing projects. But he could have been one of those guys that he's very one note, but in the thing that he does, he's quite good. And so he could have worked in, in more movies that he than he had. I think the real problem is what Josh says is is the choice of, of what kinds of movies he's he's decided to do. I mean, like I said, he, he has a lane and he's good in yeah. that lane. Um, in, in terms of like what characters he's consistently good at, I think that everyone knows this, that the hyper-masculine cop or cop, criminal, cop criminal or just, yeah, or, or soldier. Um, and I, I almost feel bad saying that because, again, he tried to step out of that lane for the happening to play a science teacher and it did not go well. He stepped but, out of it for the lovely bones as well, you know. He's also not, yeah. a little ill-conceived yeah. movie in my opinion but um i, I will know, say but, though instant family is is like this tiny little comedy that i i watched it today and uh he's quite good in it he plays this he just plays the dad character and he's he's pretty decent in it but the film is really good around him yeah sure. i mean so it, it's really emotional and nice and charming so and watch that's, it that's if a, you have that's to. a nice change of pace i think he's good yeah. in that too what i've seen but i think mm-hmm. that his where he's best is, um, I think his career highlight is the movies he's made with Peter Berg. Uh, in mm-hmm. in the second half of the last decade, he made a, a, like a tr- unofficial trilogy with Peter Berg with uh, Deepwater Horizon, uh, Lone Survivor, and Patriot's Day. Those are all based on yes. true events, action thrillers, action basically, thrillers. with Mark Wahlberg in the center and Peter Berg directing. And those are all like well-renowned movies, and he's it. You know, consensus is he's really good in all of those, and um, you know. That's kind of his lane, and, and some movies take advantage of that lane. Like Daddy's Home, for example, is a, another comedy with Will Ferrell where he plays the the image of pe- that people have of Mark Wahlberg. They really lean into that in that movie, and he just plays up to that as a contrast to Will Ferrell. That works a lot, too. Um, real quick, Patriot's Day, the Peter Berg movie that I just mentioned, yeah. I think that's also kind of like indicative of the larger uh, Wahlberg trend for me, which is that... He plays, like, a morally upstanding, like, always does the right thing, like, just the good guy. And yeah. even though that movie is based on a true story, Mark Wahlberg is a fictional character in that. And, like, mm. I don't know, in terms of, to, to give it an ungenerous read, if Wahlberg picks his parts just for the, you know, to look cool, it's it makes sense that he would put himself in this in the center of this movie as, like, the guy that just happens to be where all the action is in finding the Boston Marathon bombers. Yeah. Like... Kevin Bacon plays a real guy. John Goodman plays a real guy. J.K. Simmons plays a real guy. And then Mark Wahlberg is just there for every important moment in that investigation. And he's kind of, you know, he gets the big speech at the end about good and evil and all that kind of stuff. So eh. if I could just ask one last question, because our topic is Boone or Bane. Basically, is he good for the movies he's in or is he actually a detriment? My question would be, in the movies that you guys feel that he was good, would you say that they could cast just about anybody else and have it? Like I'll even say I'll I'll restrict you anyone else in that genre like like if in the in the action movie genre all the action movies he's done could you have plugged in Keanu Reeves in those roles as an example and, and oh, would they be dude. better? Look, 
a you, you can't ask me this question specifically because uh, as, as an example like you know yeah uh, uh plug in um, liam neeson uh, in those action roles uh plug in right uh, Tom clive Cruise. owen yeah clive yeah. owen uh, plug in an action types. movie star yeah. one of those guys that is notorious for being in action movies plug him into that role for if is we're it talking better? about <laughs> uh, if we're talking about the kind of generic action movies that he's been doing um i i don't know that it would make that much of a difference if the actor was that much better or worse than he is okay. um i i i don't think it, it 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 you know i don't think the central performance of action movie where you know that that, that is a six out of ten will improve that film or make it worse by a large margin. So I don't think that makes too much of a difference. But I do think there are a few movies where he's used so well that that, that I don't know if you could... I, I could like, I would have a hard time, you know, seeing another actor in his role in The Departed, for example. I think but that... But in terms of... Yeah. I, I, I think you'd replace Mark Wahlberg with Matt Damon in nearly every role and <laughs> maybe improve it a little bit. Sure. With... With little exception, like, for example, the other guys and Daddy's Home and the movies he's made with Will Ferrell where, like, they really are, like, putting him in the exact lane he needs to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's perfect in those and no one else would make would be an improvement. It wouldn't be but, any better uh, with a different straight man. Yes, but I, I think that otherwise, yeah, you could replace him and maybe improve it a little bit. Not yeah. to... I don't I, want to be unkind, I don't but want to that's be how like, I feel. Yeah, like, <laughs> I think the general consensus across this conversation is that he's not—he's not usually bad. Like, he, I don't—I no, never think that he's. Yeah. He, there's, with the few exceptions where, like, I, I truly think that he made the happening worse. The happening was bad without him, but I think I don't. He did—he did, didn't—he did not ruin the happening though. He didn't ruin it. Like I said, it was no. bad to begin with, but yeah. I. Yeah, that just the the. the there's the, no improving that. The whole scene where he's talking to the students at the beginning of the movie. Well, you you don't care about bees? Well, <laughs> you got to care about bees. Like there's no like you that the, was the toughest moment the toughest so moment bad. that movie for me the toughest moment in that movie is in the, the midpoint when they're in the field and the, the other people in the field are shooting themselves. Yes. And you got to give me a chance up, to think. It's a very <laughs> odd close up on his face where he's like, "All right, come on, douchebag, use a scientific method." And like yes. <laughs> use <talking> himself <laughs> like that. And like again, there's confoundingly baffling creative choices across the board by a lot of people besides just Mark Wahlberg. But yeah, yeah, that scene's rough for everyone involved. So like those, those scenes make it so I I truly think that as bad as the happening was, his performance in there was enough to make it even worse for me. Uh, But for for the majority of these movies, go ahead. To me, honestly, like the happening, I, it's the kind of movie that I kind of the performances are so bad that they they become funny to me, and the like only the way room. for me to get through the film is is like to to kind of laugh at some of the ridiculous well, lines that they're saying and how over the top there, they are. There's already a movement to kind of reevaluate the happening as a ode to 1950s camp, and I kind yeah, of see but... that in some some of it. Like when the construction worker looks up and says. Dear God, dear in heaven. God. Or so it's yeah. it's so it's so <laughs> yeah. over the top that like I kind of get that read, but it's also like I think that that's revisionist sure history for me because M Night I'm Shyamalan sure has the intention. M Night Shyamalan has said that 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 he was going for B movie camp. Yeah, in, in the yeah. happening, he has said that. Sure. But I feel like that's revisionist history because when you watch the movie, I think there's enough of it that looks like you're trying to make a real movie, 
that uh, that you can't I mean, it claim could, it was it B movie be both. camp. It could be both. Um, there's certainly some B movie <laughs> camp that's very clearly intentional. When he talks to the plastic plant, that's very clearly intentional. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Shitty, I'll give you that. You know, I'll give you that so. scene. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, uh, and in, in any case, uh, I just feel like in the majority of his movies, he's fine. He's not a bad actor. Yeah. I think in the vast majority of his movies, he doesn't actually make it any worse for the for most of them. But I think that all of them could be better with someone else. Not all, but you know what I mean. Most of them. So in that way, he is kind of a bane, because yeah. if you could, if you could plug in a different actor and make the movie better, then that means that the actor that you did use made the movie worse. <laughs> yeah, I guess that for the most part, kind of, yeah. I, I agree with you. He 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 really. I don't want to keep harping on this, but he he really doesn't have much range. And when he's like mm. asked to do things that are outside of his range, that's when like it, you know, he's kind of laid bare, and like you see his limitations um i'm thinking yeah. of a few scenes in like the movie Rockstar where he's got to like reach an emotion i'm like it's not you're not you're not doing it for me buddy but you know i wish you the best so i really think that the best thing for him to do in, especially in terms of selecting his movies is to uh either continue with the the action movies that he does with peter berg that sort of thing uh because he, he's, he's fine in those uh and they fit his you know machismo his you know his, his genre his skill or, set if he's going to be in, uh, you know, serious movies uh, that you know, like like The Departed was, or All the Money yeah. in the World, or The Lovely Bones, those sort of serious topics, I feel like he would be better served in supporting roles than ever being an actual lead in those movies, because the I lead think. is going to require more range, and if you can plug him in in one of those supporting roles, in and allow him to use the skills that he really is truly good at then I think that he can actually add to the movies he's in. I think he's got to be more selective on, on the movies. Yeah, That's basically sure. what it comes down to. He can't Samuel he... Jackson this. No. <laughs> Definitely not. I, I do agree. Like, I think in supporting roles, he his skill set and his even his persona, to some extent, can be used to make something that fits a certain movie but yeah as a lead he's not like you know i see oh this movie stars mark Wahlberg. i'm not like gonna be excited about that movie I think he's happy with his so, career. Yeah. I mean, he's he's oh yeah, he's made oh, his money. Yeah. He's made his he image. doesn't care. He, he he's not Brad Pitt. He's not Matt Damon. He's Mark Wahlberg, he's and Mark like he's Wahlberg. good at being Mark Wahlberg. You know, very good note to For end sure. it on there, Josh. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, what what are we doing next week, Hugo? So next week, I thought we. We could watch because it's a movie that's I think is going to be nominated uh, for Oscars uh, in the foreign language category that just I think was very recently made available on VOD and it's a movie called uh, Another Round is going to be our film to remember. Woo-woo. It stars Mads Mikkelsen. It's a a Danish film um, about like teachers that decide to start day drinking and it's sort of a drama a comedy uh, by the same director as The Hunt. So great yeah, movie claimed. Acclaimed director, yeah, absolutely. And I think our topic is going to be, um, we're going to highlight some of our favourite uh, sort of uh, non-English films, films <laughs> foreign films. Uh, and not, language, we'll, yeah. we'll decide how many and, and how we're going to decide to highlight them and, and maybe talk a bit about why they're so overlooked. And maybe and, we can talk about yeah. Hollywood coming up with a better way to describe movies that aren't made in English. Yes. Because it's so uh, hard agreed. to come up with the right term. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, so that, that's yeah, going to be our topic so for next topic. week. Thank you for joining us. And uh, if you would, please like, subscribe, and share. I'd appreciate it. Uh, maybe make some comments on the video. Talk to us about your feelings on Mark Wahlberg. Or maybe <laughs> if you have a foreign film that you'd like to suggest that we watch 
uh, for next week. Uh, you know, go ahead and throw it out there. Uh, uh, until next time, thank you for joining us. <laughs>